0: Had a big head, rounded ears, six feet in the body maybe, with a very, very long tail, very muscular build. As it was walking, it was, it was still looking at me, and that's when I really panicked.
1: It looked at me and thought, oh, oh, there's a human there, I'm not scared. You say, well, I've seen this big cat, and some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size. I heard this growl behind me. Nothing like a dog's growl. And just like anything else in life, you're sat on your own there. I don't care who you are, how brave you are.
2: Something like that will put the shivers up your spine.
1: As she was walking before the cub came out, she flicked this tail.
0: She literally flicked it in the air. And I simply could not believe what I was seeing. It was the most extraordinary feeling.
1: It threw its head back, he said, and it made this sort of round..
2: But when you actually realize that there are big cats living in Britain, it changes everything. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. Why are unofficial big cats being seen and could these cats even be naturalising without us knowing? If you've had a big cat encounter in Britain and would like to discuss it, email me at rick at bigcatconversations.com. You can find other episodes on the website bigcatconversations.com. I'm Rick Minter and thanks for joining me. Hello everyone. And welcome to the show, and this episode is a Gloucestershire special. We're going to be looking back a few years, especially around 2011, when two different witnesses had very close-up encounters with cats in different parts of the county, Google Maps shows that they were about 20 miles apart. So one was east of the River Severn near Stroud, and one was west of the River Severn towards Forrester Dean. And we're going to start near Stroud, first of all, and I'm going to introduce Corinne. And she's going to take us through all the different parts of the saga of seeing this cat over probably three years, I think it was. Corinne, we really appreciate you coming on because I know at that time you did quite a lot of media interviews and maybe you could sometimes get a bit jaded by that, but uh, I think you you knew it was quite important at the time. So a few years on, thanks for coming back. you um welcome. I guess it was. there were several parts to the whole saga, weren't there? Could you start by telling us about the first times you were seeing this cat across the valley and what you were thinking and what you did?
1: Yes, OK, well, the first time I saw it, I'd lived in the house about 18 months. It was July and I'd never heard of big cats in this country at all. I didn't, didn't know there were any reports of them. And I was sitting outside the front of the house looking across in a, a steep-sided valley and I saw something... The farmer had just cut the hay so the grass was really short um, and I could see something moving about in the field and I'd got used to the view by this point and I could tell when it was a fox or a deer or a cat or a dog or rabbits, pheasants, we see everything over there. When I looked over there, and it just had this great big long tail and I thought, well, that's a bit odd and I didn't have any binoculars handy and then it disappeared off into the bushes Um, and then the next night... About the same time, early evening, I saw it again. And this time I did have binoculars ready and it just looked like an enormous cat. So I googled it and I found um, Frank Tunbridge's, you know, not his website, his phone number and people had... um, been writing in about this for quite a number of years, and I then hope the to next...
2: quickly say, Corin Frank Tunbridge is going to appear in episode four oh, nice, of our yeah. podcast, so people will sort of hear all about him and the work he does, sort of advising witnesses like you. So mm. that's the sort of um, background to Frank.
1: Yes. Okay. So yeah. So I went on holiday to Greece for two weeks. The following day, um, and was thinking about it while I was away. So when I got back, I phoned up Frank, and he came round a few days later. And said, well, yeah, it was a big it was a big cat. It was a leopard, black leopard that you saw. It. As though, you know, I'd just told him I'd seen a chicken. It was like, well, yeah, it's nothing special. You know, tell me about it. And he took some notes. And then I don't think I saw it again for the rest of that year then. And then the following summer, roughly about the same time, again, the hay had just been cut. And um, this time, Frank had lent me a really old VHS camera. So I had that, and in the evening again, I was looking out, and there it was. So I went and got the camera, balanced it on a big pile of CDs that were on the windowsill, (laughs) pressed record, ran over the road to get my neighbour. He got his telescope out, and we we both watched it for about 45 minutes, just mooching around the field, and then it disappeared into the hedge, must have crossed the lane, and came out in the field above. Yeah, and I, I got some grainy because it was an old camera but there's some quite good footage of it and um, apparently it was mousing in the in the hay that was left in the field and it was just wandering around not bothering anybody and, and by you... then I knew what it was.
2: Yeah and uh, so you were ready because and it was handy because it was from your own sort of bedroom window and lounge window yes. so you could have a camera at hand in Mm. in that situation.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's
2: right. And you'd seen it, how many times do you think you'd seen it before you filmed it, Corinne?
1: I think I'd seen it twice, those two days before I went to Greece the previous year. And then I saw it again the night i filmed it and i've seen it since yeah
2: and it definitely i mean i've looked at the footage and it definitely does appear to be sort of foraging for stranded rodents doesn't it in the freshly cut like yeah. foxes and, and domestic cats do just yeah, yeah. get easy pickings after the freshly cut hay
1: yes and when we filmed it there was um it was sniffing around at the top of the field and then a white van came along the lane and spooked it a bit and it it then darted off down the field.
2: Yeah, it's doing a poo, isn't it? It's sitting. I think down- it was yeah. actually. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um there was also at the bottom of the field which is closer to me, there was a fox so you could get some sort of perspective because the cat was much further away. And, and with that angle, it looked, you know, yes. the same size as the fox, even though it was a long way away. Yeah, and
2: the folds of the field um, meant that the fox couldn't see it, we reckon, That's yes, at it the time. it dips
1: yeah. away towards me, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And... It's a long view across the valley, so you had to really zoom in and hold it pretty still. I did, yeah. Yeah, that's difficult to do, in fact. It is,
1: yeah, yeah, with a handheld old camera.
2: I think there's a little bit of the footage still on an ITN website, isn't it? Because I know that a a little snippet, about 10 seconds worth, was released, um, but the rest of it's been kept for um, a documentary, which somebody's preparing. Yes. um, And we'll talk about that a bit more. I know some people say, oh, it's a fox. But I know that, uh, you know, you and I and Frank and others have sat down with, you know, various people, including a professor of zoology who've all said, no, that is definitely a cat. Um, We'll we'll talk about the scaling in a minute um, because the scaling has really helped as well. Um, but it's an unusual type of cat, we'll come on to that. But I qu- quickly just want to ask you about how you found dealing with the press and getting feedback from friends and neighbours and people in the community when you started talking about it in the, the first time, because... I mean, you had a lot of mixed reactions and I guess you have a lot of mixed feelings from that <laughs> whole, that first um, set of um, conversations you had with people.
1: I did, yes. I mean, I had two or three neighbours that had... Well, the neighbour I dashed over to with the camera, he'd, he'd seen it that night and, you know, he said he'd seen it previously as well. And I had another neighbour who'd lived here 30 years and she'd never seen anything like that at all. You know, she thought we were a bit crazy. And then another neighbour... A few months after that, she was her mother was walking up at Painswick Beacon with her little dog, and um and a cat followed them, and she was really frightened. So, you know, those neighbors believed me. Then, I've got friends that believed me, and I've still to this day got friends that absolutely refuse to believe it, which is really strange. I find because it's not like I'm saying there's aliens from Mars in the field. You know, it's just a, a leopard, and leopards can live anywhere,
2: and your point about flamingos is a great one can you
1: yeah yeah well I just thought you know if if I'd said to somebody I was walking along the canal in Stroud and I saw a flamingo people would say are you sure can you describe it and I would describe it and um and they would say oh well you know it's escaped from Slimbridge or somewhere they'd have an explanation for it whereas you say well I've I've seen this big cat and some people just flatly refuse because i suppose they're scared of the implications of that or mm. they think that britain's such a sweet little island we shouldn't have predators that size mm. wandering around so it's very interesting response from people
2: yeah i think they can i think that's part of it and i think that also i think some people feel They people who don't know the behaviour of these animals think they would be blatant. They would be much more visible, much Mm. more sort of in your face and whatever. And they don't realise how secretive and shy Mm. and stealthy they they are and have to be. Yes. So there's various reasons I think, but I I I sort of understand it as it can be frustrating. But did did you find it frustrating?
1: I did find it a bit frustrating. Yeah, because they. They just, some people thought I was mistaken and some people just thought I was lying. Friends that I've known for years and I've never told a lie, you know? So they, I did find it a bit frustrating, but now I've just learned to let it go. And, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and then I've got other friends. Um, a couple of summers after that, a friend phoned me and he'd always been somebody that had said, oh, I don't know, it sounds a bit crazy. You know, I you must've thought it was a cat and it was a dog. And then he was up at, um up on the common where they have the boot sales. And he phoned me frantic one summer's evening, saying, I've seen it, I've seen it. And he'd actually seen a puma up there. He'd seen a beige-coloured mm-hmm. big cat with his son. And so he believes now, because yeah. he'd seen it. It's until people see it with their own eyes. They don't seem to... Some people do, but some people just can't sure. take it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Did that make you extra determined to try and get it on camera, to some extent?
1: Um to some extent but by then I'd kind of fallen in love with it and I wanted to protect it so okay. we didn't know if that was the only one but according to to Frank and to you Rick the people I've spoken to have said no it's not the only one they're all over the country you know so mm. but I wanted to protect it so I didn't want to go to the papers and say oh look aren't I great I've seen this great big cat you know and Come and take pictures of me. Mm. We wanted to keep it its location a secret,
0: mm. just
1: to protect it. Because so we didn't want trophy hunters coming, yeah. poisoning it or trying to shoot it. You know, and the local landowners on the whole seem quite pleased that they're around because they keep the deer down.
2: That seems to be quite a common reaction we get all over the country. Actually, the people are very guarded about revealing them because of the consequences of. Um, you know, wider under, wider knowledge about it, but um, maybe I think people are perhaps um, too concerned about letting uh, letting it be known. I think people have a perception there'll be trophy hunters and there'll be hassle, and there might not be. But I think for, uh, because of that perception, people do keep it more quiet than they Mm. might otherwise do which is often frustrating if you're trying to follow up and get evidence and and pursue things because um you have to sort of get people's trust to to get the information but that's how it is that's the nature of the subject yes but what about you did actually end up in the press didn't you and and talked about it and how did you find that experience
1: It was, I mean, the local paper was fine, you know, and there was a friend of a friend that was the journalist and he came around and he was sympathetic to keeping it a secret. But then as soon as it, you know, it rolls out on paper, it's, oh, the beast of the five valleys. And it's it's like, it's not a beast, it's just a cat that lives here, you know, or it's um, a panther on the prowl. <clears throat> it wasn't it wasn't prowling it was just going about its business looking for mice as far as i could see mm-hmm. photos
2: wasn't... of a snarling panther exactly yes yeah,
1: they right. put i think yeah he took my photo and then it, you know there was next to me there was i've seen the beast of the five valleys in in speech marks as though i'd said it which was a bit like oh but it's too late it's out in the news agents so
2: yeah, you you also had the National Tabloids um, doorstepping you, didn't you? I
1: did, yeah, yeah, they got hold of it and they came and I had, to, I had to turn them away. I think somebody came and wanted to film me holding a camera, I can't remember which paper that was. But, um, yeah, no, I was a, I was a bit no. strict with them. But whatever you give them, they sensationalise it, so...
2: Yeah. Didn't some didn't one of the national press um phone you up and ask where it was as if, as if you could go and
1: Yes, yeah, where is it? Can we go it and take and... a picture of it? <laughs> yeah, Great. they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got a huge territory, so of course I don't know where it is. Yeah.
2: And didn't it come down your road, you think, in the snow once?
1: Ah uh, yes, it I didn't see it. This was my next door neighbour who was a disbeliever at the time and it had been snowing and we were snowed in and my son at the time, he had a motorbike at the time outside the house. And I've since been told that they're attracted to the smell of diesel. I don't know if that's true or not or, you know, but um, she had a little a little dog and she would got it out in the garden for a wee and it was dark. It was eight, nine o'clock on a winter's night. And she just looked over the garden wall and it was sniffing around my son's motorbike. And the the little dog saw it and went crazy. And she picked the dog up and took it in and shut the door and wouldn't you know, it wouldn't come out. But by then the the snow had been disturbed with lots of footprints, so it was really hard to try and get paw marks. And we thought we had. We saw some very big paw marks, but it was never established if they were cat marks or dog marks.
2: Yeah, and that can be that can happen quite a lot actually. I think sometimes people look to the biggest print that's around mm. and often it, the biggest print around may be a dog rather than the cat because the cats can not yes. always have as big a print as you expect.
1: Yeah I mean by then I'd, I'd researched it and, and discovered cats tend to have a leading toe rather than it being completely symmetrical so i you know we took some photos in the snow and but there were claw marks so some people said oh it can't be it can't be a leopard they you know they retract their claw but then other people said but it's icy and then cats and my cat does if it's skidding around it puts its claws out to get a grip so you know
2: yeah um, and just for the audience, thinking why would it be in a residential road? I mean, the roads round here and and, the, and some of the uh, residential areas they do sort of merge with the hillside, don't they? So they do, an yeah. animal doesn't rec- distinguish between the residential areas and the hillsides and the and the orchards and the pasture. That's all one thing. To- yes,
1: yes. Because at the end of this road, it's only twenty yards from my house, and it's just fields. Then, so you know, with a, there's a there's a fence there now, but there wasn't then. Mm. And the cat would just go from one field, walk up the street for a bit, and go into another field yeah and but the the following winter in the snow in january i couldn't get out again, and it was I was off work because we couldn't couldn't drive to work and um and I saw it across the valley in the same field, a different part of the field where i'd filmed it, but I saw it over in the valley again, just sniffing around by some trees and i I took a picture with my phone, but of course that's not going to be very good either. Mm. And I saw it maybe for three or four minutes that time.
0: Mm.
2: And I know you and Frank tried to put cameras um, in the field where it was seen and f- and you filmed it from across from your house, but the landowner got wind of the fact that what it, that was all about and felt if you're going to do that, he wanted lots of money. So that yes. restricted the possibility.
1: It did. And then we got, um, you talked about the documentary earlier, so... Mm. The filmmaker gave us three cameras to put out and um, we found out who'd, who rented the other field and we asked them and they said, yes, you can put them up. So we had some big steel boxes made on big um, wooden stakes in the ground. We put them in their woods and they said they know that there's a cat around because they keep sheep and the sheep go crazy and they have some pigs as well. And the pigs won't come out of their houses when they know that there's a cat around. So we had three cameras out there for about five or six months and then they all got stolen. Mm. Which can happen. I mean, it happens
2: to me. I I know however much you think you've camouflaged them and tucked them away, they can get and it might be private land but people are you know yes. trespassing or whatever so it's an occupational hazard unfortunately mm. um and it, of course if you it's it's just as much thinking what was on the film that, of that camera that got nicked rather than the camera itself
1: absolutely because we'd check them we'd go over and get the cards out mm. and check them but maybe only every 2 or 3 weeks
2: yeah okay and you mentioned about the filmmaker and that whole episode, that must have been quite exciting when that sort of scaling exercise was done and you had to get Frank down in the field with a, a scale yes. cutout cat. Can you tell us quickly about that?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, Mark, the filmmaker, came down and we set up a camera in my bedroom window where I'd filmed it from, the exact, exact location, and we had it playing on the computer so we could see exactly where in the field I'd filmed it. And then we sent Frank over there and we were just communicating on the phones, saying left a bit, right a bit, up a bit, down a bit, until we got him in the exact spot where we could pinpoint where the cat had run across. And he had, um, I think he had a big scale cut out of a, of a big black leopard. So he stood in the field holding that. And I think he had a metre ruler as well. So we superimposed them. It took quite a few hours one evening and then... I think they then took it down to the the BBC in Bristol mm-hmm. and we had some experts look at it and, and they said, yeah, absolutely. And they gave measurements, which I can't remember, but it was pretty big.
2: Yeah, I remember that it was um, three and a half feet in the body, which is nose to rump,
1: mm.
2: and two and a half feet in the tail, so six foot overall. Yes, that sounds which right. Which doesn't make it as big as... Some, but it's still way bigger than any sort of domestic cat we'd know. Yes, um, much bigger. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of um, conversation about Professor with Frank analyzing it and commenting on it was is filmed and is parked for this documentary. And it's, yes, um, it, it's really helpful. But I think Corinne, I know you're talking about say black leopard, and we'll come on to that again in a minute. But I know that that conversation with the professor and Frank and and my observation and Friends and other contacts observations of the cat that you filmed, when we look at it, we don't necessarily feel it's a nailed-on black leopard or a nailed-on dark puma. It's almost like it's difficult to identify and put a spe- an actual known species to, and that's part of the fascination about it. Um, I know some people have said, "Oh, well, that's it's adapting." You know, it's a British one. It's you know several generations on, and it uh, it's adapted to sort of pasture and semi scrubland. Um, it's not a forest leopard or a forest type puma cat. Um, it's intriguing, but I know that you feel it. It is a black. You you feel it is most likely a black leopard.
1: Well, I think so. Just you know, you're the expert. But just looking at it, and you know, looking at images on Google and books that you've shown me and things. I wasn't close up to it, but it was black and it, um, but it had, the, the the strange thing I noticed was a lot of those pictures of a typical leopard, they have more rounded ears, whereas this one had more pointed ears. Mm. So
2: That's something in itself, you see, I mean.
1: But a big, big, big tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big tail. I've got two cats and the proportion of their bodies to their tails, nothing like that. Mm. His tail was yes. huge.
2: Yeah. that I mean, through this podcast series, people will hear me asking the witnesses, the guests, about the length of the tail. And it is, as you say, it's that proportional length of the tail. Mm. Um, did you notice anything? I know it's a long way away, but anything about it? What sort of what other features about its movement or appearance made you think? That is different from a a, a domestic cat or any other animal that's known. Well, I
1: knew it wasn't a domestic cat because I wouldn't have been able to see that with my naked eye from here. You could just about see a fox, a big fox from here without binoculars. So I I knew it wasn't a a normal sized domestic cat. And people say, oh, it must have been a dog. Because people tend to see them and they report them as, oh, it was was bigger than a Labrador. And people say, oh, maybe it was a Labrador. But I've got a Labrador. I know what a dog looks like and I know how a dog moves. And, and you know, if a dog sniff I see dogs in that field and if they're playing around sniffing around in there they're all over the place zigzagging getting excited jumping around. And this was just on a mission, you know. It was it knew what it was doing and it was it it wasn't sneaking around but it was going around in a straight line with its nose to the ground sniffing for things. Um and then when it it ran across the field it, it was just really graceful this kind of grace you wouldn't get with a dog mm. yeah it just moved it was like slinking mm. or it was gracefully running um and yeah. it just it didn't move and didn't look like a dog
2: and you probably wouldn't have been able to see a collar but i always feel the people who say oh it must have been a dog well the witnesses who would see a dog would see a collar yes on most dogs yes. 95% of dogs would be wearing a collar yeah. And these animals don't appear to be wearing collars that no. get reported as big cats. Yeah. No,
1: and yeah. it's if you know, if you go around to your friend's house and they've got a dog and a cat and the dog comes in the room, you, you're not gonna say, Oh, is that is that your cat? You know it's a dog, you know? They're so different. Mm. Even if even if their dog is the same size as their cat, you can tell a dog from a cat. So that it just makes me laugh really when people say, Oh, it must have been a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Um now there's a there's a sort of finale to this where you did see it up close. Yes. And that is intriguing and that's where your own dog plays a part in this. So yes can, can you t- tell and your daughter I think was walking it locally. Yes. Yeah, so can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, yeah, so that was I don't know maybe 5 years ago now. And it was October, it's Sunday afternoon. And we'd been out for a walk and we came back through the field at the end of the road. Um, My teenager then, about 12, went to pick some, there was some um, thistle heads. So they went to be collected and I brought the dog home. And then suddenly she ran home saying, it's in the field, it's in the field. And I said, what, what's in the field? She said, get the dog in, get the dog in. She was really scared that it was going to attack our Labrador. But he was in the house with me and... um, by this point, Mark, the filmmaker, had given me a better camera, digital zoom camera, um, handheld thing. So I, I've grabbed that and, and um, left the dog in the house and went up to the field, by which point the my, my daughter was really frightened and saying, don't go in, don't go in, it'll get you. <laughs> so my adrenaline was racing, but I went in there and she said it had run up a tree. She thought... It was the dog climbing the tree and then thought, hang on a minute, actually our dog doesn't climb trees and then she noticed the dog was in the field and coming home with me. And um and she said it it just leapt up the tree using its front claws to dig in and pull itself up this is this kind of smallish tree. And then she realized, hang on, that's a big cat and she ran out of the field and got me. I went in and um I was in the field saying, which tree, which tree? I couldn't see anything. I couldn't, I thought she was mistaken. And then I looked around, and she was saying, it's the tree you're standing in front of, mum. And I said, oh, there's nothing there. I can The, the, the leaves are just about gone off this tree. And um, then I looked down and it was sniffing around at the bottom of the tree. So obviously in that time of me getting the camera and going up there, it had come down the tree and was just sniffing around the bottom of the tree. And it was probably about 20 feet from me. And all that was between me and it was just a little chicken wire fence. And it's with all the shouting, it knew I was there. And it just looked up at me and turned round, carried on doing its sniffing. And that's what frightened me really more than anything was that it looked at me and thought, oh, oh there's a human there, I'm not scared. And then my daughter shouting, my adrenaline being high, and I had this camera that I had the sun behind me, so I had to flick the screen open and do the settings and get it running. And I just thought, do you know what? There's a leopard 20 feet from me. I'm going to leave. So I kind of reversed out of the field and then kicked myself for not filming it. And I went and got my neighbour and he came with me. And, of course, it, it had gone by then or it had gone and there was loads of mm-hmm. bramble thickets. So it was probably just sitting in there laughing at us so um yeah so i didn't i didn't get close-up footage but i saw it and i can Mm. understand now why when people say well why didn't you film it on your phone people that see the cats because you just you're too transfixed with it Mm. to think working the phone and finding the app to record and you know when a leopard's 20 feet from you, you you're probably not going to want to do that
2: yeah sure but it would have been the best footage ever it would recorded. Have been, wouldn't it? I yeah. know. it's hard to forgive you, but we do. I think. I'm, I'm
1: so sorry.
2: What were your emotions? Was it was it fear or other?
1: I was so high on adrenaline, so excitement and fear, but I'd say more excitement. The, the cat didn't threaten me at all. It didn't do anything that suggested get away from me. You know, it just looked at me and then carried on with what it was doing. So I just backed away because I was I was a bit scared of what could happen because it just wasn't frightened of me. Mm, mm. But um looking back, I think I could have probably just sat down, had a cup of tea, got the camera running and filmed it. But of course, retrospect, you know, yeah. great thing.
2: Absolutely. And just seeing it much closer must have been fascinating in a way to compare with the, the the long distance yes, sighting, yes, it was. And I'm you sure it was com- the same cat? No,
1: I'm not convinced to this day it was the same cat.
2: Gosh, I didn't know that. Oh,
1: okay. No, mm-hmm. I looking at the the sizings that the professor gave. That was a big cat over there, and this was I'd say slightly smaller. I've got a small Labrador, and it was much longer than him, and a massive tail that mm. was like it didn't peter out at one end. It was the same thickness all mm. the way along. And um, But it wasn't quite as tall as my dog, mm. but it was a lot longer. So that's what's... When I saw it close up, that surprised me, that it was a bit shorter in the leg,
2: mm.
1: but longer than I expected.
2: Well, I still reckon it could be the same one, okay. you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: it's difficult to tell.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it was... Let's say it was definitely a black leopard, then mm. it, that is a sort of female black leopard uh, okay. s- sort of size, I would yes wager
1: yeah 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 could be and it's Mm -hmm. that seems to be its route from all the sightings in this valley it seems to come down off one side go through that field cross the main road and then go up into the field where i filmed it and then off over the top
2: yeah yes a few people have seen it crossing at the same part of the road haven't they yeah yeah down in the valley bottom that's
1: right so yeah yeah it could have been the same i don't know
2: yeah yeah how would you describe it when that close up? Was it in colour and texture and fur length and that sort of thing? What? Yeah,
1: quite it was quite um thick fur. I remember the fur being quite thick. It didn't look like a scrawny cat. Um and it wasn't it wasn't dull, but it wasn't really shiny either. It was kind of somewhere in between. And it looked well fed, you know, it wasn't it wasn't bony. Um looked quite healthy, really. Yeah, but black all over. I didn't at twenty feet. I didn't see the the spots underneath it, mm. so.
2: which uh, which it uh, can be difficult to. Um, mm. Yeah, that's assuming it was a black leopard because you know there is this debate mm. about are they definitely are are they all definitely black leopards? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Frank has a view which we'll hear about in episode four that you know not all of them are black no. leopards.
1: No, and there, a lot of a lot of the neighborhood cats hang out in that field. You know, so we see we see a lot of the neighborhood cats and our own cats in that field. Mm. So. I was absolutely, absolutely certain it wasn't a neighbour's cat. Yeah.
2: And its movement, what what do you think it was doing at the bottom of that tree?
1: It was sniffing around, maybe again it was looking for mice. It was the tree, the bottom of the tree was surrounded by bramble bushes um, and fallen leaves and twigs, so maybe it was just sniffing around, looking for, or maybe we disturbed it and it had gone up the tree to hide and come down and... You know, I don't know if like dogs sniff everywhere. I don't know if cats sniff for other signs of animals because there's a lot of badgers around here as well. So maybe it had sniffed a badger. Mm. There's a set only 50 yards from there. So
0: Mm.
2: I've certainly um, been called to a completely filleted out badger carcass within a couple of miles Mm -hmm. from here. That was about the same time that that same couple of years. Okay, in that time, and it's hard to think what else could have. quickly and neatly consumed a whole badger yes. and just left the sort of um the eviscerated you know carcass yes. um well a remains. dog
1: wouldn't a dog wouldn't dream of doing that would it and a dog if it did it would rip it to pieces mm. It.
0: Mm.
2: and about three years ago myself and a, a, somebody else in our network were called to a farmer probably two miles from here who'd had one older lamb but big and strong mm. um again completely eaten out overnight he'd had no experience of big cat issues but um, when I looked at that and we did get some toothpit marks on the mandibles the jaw bones of that and in another episode we'll explain toothpit impacts uh, marks on the bones basically from the carnassial teeth of the cat okay um, yeah. so that one was sort of confirmed by toothpit analysis and that made me think, oh, is Corinne's cat, you know, still around and this is occasional, you know, hassle it's causing. Um, yeah. But you don't... Uh, am, I, am I right in saying that you don't hear about neighbourhood cats or dogs or local goats or uh, smallholders' um, animals being taken? And
1: I haven't. The only one I heard of was what I mentioned earlier where my neighbour's mother was walking at Painswick Beacon and it it followed her mm-hmm. and at the time... The experts thought it was because she had this small dog with her yeah. and she was being stalked. If it, it followed her and every time she stopped and turned around, it would cower down. Um And then I think a coach came past and oh, scared yes, it. Oh, yes, sure.
2: Ah, yes. Well, we talk about that in episode four with okay, Frank. Yeah. yeah because yeah. we've already recorded that one, but that's going to come okay, after yes. yours. So yeah. she
1: was really scared and felt like she was being followed by this cat and it had its eyes on her dog for tea. Yeah. But yeah. no, I've not heard of any any animals going missing. Mm. But you have deer all
2: around here, don't you? Oh, and, yes. and rabbits and natural game that yeah. would keep a cat happy for its larder. Yes. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would.
2: And you hinted earlier on that you obviously didn't want to compromise the cat. What what is your view generally of big cats being around? You've just mentioned a lady was stalked and whatever, mm. and i just mentioned you know a sheep kill, which I think was a big cat related one. So there are some issues from them, but what are, what's well, your personal view? Well, there are, view?
1: but I think you know in the in the Forest of Dean we've got all the wild boar, and they've now spread out from and they're not really controlled there anymore. There've been sightings outside the forest of those, and. The powers that be just put up warning notices and say, this is what a boar looks like. If you see one, this is what we advise you to do. And I think, you know, if if there's a a hot spot for big cats and people are worried, then they should just put signs up. Mm -hmm. But there's all sorts of implications. Yeah. You know?
2: I think it is tricky because signs can have unintended consequences signs Mm. could scare people signs could bring the very people you're worried about being as being trophy hunters around thinking hang on you know this is the place to loiter for a big cat I mean it may not happen but that's you know there's you know signs may not be the answer necessarily
1: they may not be and I think you know big cats tend like you said earlier leopards tend to be much more secretive and boar are there aren't they and, and if they see you and they don't want you to be there they're going to run after you whereas a, a leopard's much less likely to do that unless you're threatening if it's got cubs or you know if it's in the middle of dinner but if it's in the middle of dinner around here it would probably just leave it and go and get another deer we're not talking about the serengeti you know or you see these wildlife documentaries where if you approached a leopard eating its tea then you'd be dessert. but for this, they're just like well, I'd get another one. There's so, and they're the apex predator. So, there's so many deer in this country, and rabbits, and pheasants. There's, there's a yeah. larder for them, isn't it? The yeah. British countryside.
2: Uh, that may well exp- that abundance of prey may explain why they don't seem to get stressed and don't seem to need to turn on our pets or get mm. domestic um li- uh, livestock or whatever. So yes, I think you may have you may know, be onto something there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're but not you're short of food, yeah. So so you're you're on the sort of protective side of things for them. Yes, going, absolutely, yeah.
1: definitely. I mean, I might think differently if it had taken my dog that day in the field. I may think differently, but at at the moment, no, I don't see any threat. Mm. Nobody's been hurt. Nobody's been attacked. As far as we know, and people mm. have been reporting sightings since what the seventies, nineteen seventies, earlier than that, earlier yeah, than I've that, heard, had and early. nobody's. Yeah. But nobody's been attacked, so that we know that we know nobody's yeah. reported being attacked. I think mm. we would have probably heard about it. So no, I don't see them. I don't see them as a threat at mm. all, really.
2: A final sort of thought about the wider community. Do you feel? attitudes are just the same as they were when you first saw this, that there's some people who are open-minded, some people who are stubborn sceptics, some people who are in denial and it's just how it is. And it, Or do you feel that there's sort of a slight growing awareness?
1: I think there's a growing awareness. And I think it's because, you know, you could have been in a room of people... 10 11 years ago and most of them would have just thought "Mm, okay you know what what were you drinking that night but now you'd mention that and somebody in the room will say oh do you know what my brother in law thought he saw one of those or oh my neighbor said they saw one somebody seems to at, at any gathering you're at somebody has either thinks they've seen one they know they've seen one or somebody they know has seen one so, um, no, I think there's a lot more awareness of it now.
2: Great. Well, thank you very much, Corin. I really appreciate having you on the show.
1: You're welcome.
2: Now our word of the week this episode is preternatural or preternatural. It means beyond nature, it comes from the Latin preternaturum, which means beyond the natural world. But it doesn't mean supernatural, it just means animals, creatures which have characteristics which are difficult to comprehend because they are so remarkable. So I think it's very relevant to the big cats. We don't understand them fully in this country especially because we're simply not used to how stealthy, how semi-invisible, how silent they can be. So we almost see them as something beyond nature. So preternatural is a good term for thinking about them. And that Latin word preternaturum never meant to be supernatural. It just means at the limits of nature's powers really. Okay, well we're staying in Gloucestershire for our second guest of the show and I'm going to welcome Dave who had an intriguing encounter a few years ago west of Gloucester, the other side of the river from uh, Corin's situation. So almost certainly a, a different cat because uh, unlikely that a cat would cross a bridge on the River Severn or swim across it. So this one is another close-up encounter and we're going to explore it in full with the witness Dave. So welcome Dave, to the show Dave. Thanks very much for coming on and um, yeah if you could just start from the beginning and and tell us where you were roughly and uh, when it was and what happened.
0: So I had my sighting in the winter of 2011 so it was was at night um, I was out lamping rabbits um, in a field and I would say the time was around one in the morning. Uh, My dad was on a night shift at the time so I, I, I was focusing my lamp on some rabbits in a small field, um, and behind the field there was a copse. I didn't really pay much attention to it. But I did see some some eye shine in the cops behind. But I was focused mainly on around six rabbits in the field in front of me. I, I, I fired a shot eventually, um but I missed. Um and uh I, I went to the area anyway and I got slightly closer and I noticed the eyeshine remained in place. As I got closer I I thought, you know, um what is it um and why isn't it going away? Um, usually if I see a fox or or anything like that then it will it will leave the area quite quickly as soon as it knows that there's someone around Um, this eye shine remained in place and I began to get closer and closer originally I would say I was 80 meters away as I got closer I got within around 25 meters and I started to think then you know why hasn't this thing moved on Um, all the rabbits had gone Uh, and then I got closer and closer and the eyes were very um an orange color they were very round, um, I would say bigger than golf ball size. And as I got closer, I began to pick out more of an outline. The the, the outline of the animal was in the hedge, so it was, it was behind a, th- a very thin um, wire fence. And uh, I, I started getting closer and closer and I began to, to see more of the animal. Um, so I noticed, first of all, it was quite high off the ground, um, which wasn't something that I would expect with a fox. It was very dark in colour, so it blended in quite well. So it was quite difficult to see the outline um, and I kept getting closer um, and I got within around 10 metres and at this point I got a really good clear look at it and it was very, um, at a big head, it was probably about two and a half feet off the ground at its highest point, rounded ears, it was black in colour and I couldn't see any markings and that's when I really started to um, get concerned about what I was looking at and at that point um i I, we probably stared at each other for around five seconds and then it slowly raised itself up um it was probably it was stood in a in a crouching position at this point got onto all fours and um it went from the towards the right it stood up towards the right went into thicker cover and i could only describe it as around five feet six feet in the body maybe um, with a very very long tail um very muscular build and that's when i really panicked and um backed off pretty quickly Um, as it was walking it was it was still looking at me but yeah it was walking around into deeper deeper cover Um, and yeah I I left the scene pretty quickly after that and made my way home.
2: Mm. You you didn't have it illuminated when you were right up close Dave did you?
0: Yeah I did when I was up close yeah it was only originally that I I couldn't really see a lot of it when I got right up close to it I could see um, a lot of the outline of the animal and a lot of its features. Did you see the eye shine at all? Yeah, the eye shine was um a deep orange eye shine color.
2: Did you um detect its sort of attitude? Was it just sort of confidently and quietly walking away because um you were both too close to each other or did it have any other sort of um attitude in its sort of poise and movement?
0: No, yeah, I would say it was um just casually making its way off. It didn't appear aggressive. Just, you know, slinked off, minding its own business really.
2: Yeah uh, and you were obviously totally surprised and shocked and and what what sort of how scared would you say you were
0: I would say I was very scared I I moved away very quickly and got home as fast as I could um despite having a you know a gun I was still very um very unnerved by the encounter
2: Yeah and what do you in terms of it being there are you assuming it was watching the same rabbits that you were lamping to sort of um uh take a few it was it was wanting to do the same thing as you were doing?
0: Yeah, I would say it was, yeah. Yeah, I think it was just watching the rabbits and we both happened to be watching them at the same time.
2: Yeah, and you'd had no knowledge of big cat reports in this location. It was just you know minutes from your house, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was about a 10-minute walk away from my house. I'm aware of a lot of reports in the Forest of Dean. My dad had, had seen one previously, but no, I wasn't aware of any reports um, in that area, no.
2: What In terms of your... The, the respective movements you, you backing off and it walking away you being that close to it do you think it could have gone wrong you know something awkward could have happened um if you'd have reacted differently
0: yeah I think if if, if someone else had been in my position and they'd have panicked um it could have certainly gone a lot worse you know it could have gone wrong certainly yeah it, you know if, if someone had decided to take a shot at it or anything like that it could have been a totally different situation
2: Yeah, or or the cat suddenly felt threatened for whatever reason. It could have lashed out or or whatever.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have fancied my chances, put it that way.
2: Yeah, yeah. Would you make an assessment that it was a black leopard or or was it too difficult to do uh, from from your sort of quick um, shocked situation?
0: Yeah, I would definitely say it was that sort of calibre of cat on the large side, I would say. Um, Quite thick set and muscular. It wasn't, you know, lean. It was big built. Um, you know almost a, a rugby player like Kat.
2: mm Did you see did any particular features stand out were you able to sort of assess you know the length of the tail or anything like that?
0: Yeah so the length of the tail was um, very long quite thick throughout um, I think it had a, a th- slightly thicker end um, the ears were very rounded the eyes were very um, round again and yeah big paws Just, just a thick set animal really.
2: -hmm. Uh, Did you see coloration of of the fur at all?
0: Yeah, so it was it was black, um, and I couldn't see any mottles underneath. Obviously, it's quite a while ago now, but from my recollection, I couldn't see any mottling at all. But the detail was quite limited because obviously we were through a little fence. uh, There were was a few pieces of vegetation in the way, and I was only using a torchlight as well. Mm -hmm. What did you do immediately afterwards? Um, I called my dad actually, who was on a night shift at the time um and told him what I'd seen and he suggested I get home as quickly as possible. And then I email uh, I text um Frank. Um I got his number online um and sent him a message.
2: This is Frank Tunbridge who we'll um, yeah. meet in episode four uh, yeah. of this series. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I text Frank and um he he got in touch the next day and I believe yourself and Frank came down a couple of days later.
2: Yeah. Um and and you also then started getting interested in just scouting out the local countryside and looking for signs, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, so I had a good look around, didn't find anything really interesting. But yeah, I've I've been interested in it ever since, really.
2: Mm. I always think it's 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 a, it's a shame when um, even people in your own family don't believe you, but I gather you've got a brother who's a sort of arch-sceptic who remains quite a stubborn sceptic, and how does that go?
0: Um, yeah, he does. He's not seen one himself, and I think he's just a bit sceptical about the whole thing, really. He concedes that you know there may be one or two that have been released, but I don't think he he believes that there's you know uh, they're potentially widespread mm. um, I don't think he thinks there's any in our area.
2: How does he explain what you you say you encountered
0: um He puts it across as potentially a large dog or a large domestic cat, but i he's he's very much one of those people unless he sees it himself he's he's not going to believe it mm-hmm.
2: Uh it didn't have a collar, I presume. You you're able that to see it be that no, close. No, no, so no, no, no there's that no would, collar on it. No, so that would rule out. Um although you, you could have a dog in the countryside late at night without a collar, but a dog uh wouldn't behave like that, presumably in most situations.
0: No. No, it definitely wasn't a dog.
2: Yeah. And how long did that whole encounter take, Dave? It was watching you for a few minutes, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was probably a few minutes, um as I started to edge closer than uh then, yeah, it all ended pretty quickly um, yeah. and I didn't investigate any further as, you know, it was in the middle of winter at night. So um, I went home very quickly afterwards.
2: Um, and can you talk us through the, the next sort of twist of the saga? Because there was a, a lost dog poster um, right in the sort of entrance to the fields where the paths go across the fields, I gather.
0: Yeah, so a farmer uh, used to walk his dog uh, on the land at around 6am every morning and we, we we saw this sign or frank saw this sign and he got in touch with the farmer um and they had a conversation so yeah there was he, he walked his dog uh, spring springer spaniel every morning at 6 a.m um obviously it's still dark in the mornings at that time of year um and he said he saw it run into the cops and um it never came out again he said he didn't hear any any noises or anything one minute it was it was there and the next minute it was gone and it's never done anything like that before so um it certainly got him and us thinking that, you know, potentially there was there was some sort of interaction and perhaps the, the dog bit the dust.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, we'll, we'll talk about sort of impacts and uh, um, behaviour of dogs through the series of podcasts, but that is um, obviously no definitive proof, but it is uh, food for thought. Um, he also didn't need much persuading about big cats being around because he'd seen one himself, I think. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I believe he um, farms in the area. Um, and he he did explain that he had seen one, what he describes as lactating, so it had um, teats on it at the time that were very obvious to him. Um, so yeah, he he had a he had a, a, a sighting himself.
2: Yeah, I think because he he's sort of referred to it as she, and Frank asked why he knew the gender and the lactating bit then came through. So yeah, and but you haven't had other reports from that locality since david even though it's quite close so difficult to know whether it's still around or goes that area goes that way occasionally as yeah. part of the conundrum isn't it of the subject
0: yeah i think um in my opinion there's, there's not one resident in the area i think it was just passing through but there are sightings all around um so yeah i think it was just a case of passing through the area um and we met um just by chance
2: mm. and, and it sort of triggered a well, a lifelong interest now. I mean, you, you um, keep a, a, a close interest in the topic and network with lots of other people now.
0: Yep. Yeah, so I've been interested now for nearly 10 years. So yeah, uh, I'm well involved. Would you want
2: to see another one, Dave, having that, had that experience?
0: Uh, I would, um, but not, not such a close encounter. That for me uh, was too close. So yeah, I would like to see another one, but at distance um, and not coming into close contact with each other, Um mm because I would be worried about the, you know, if we were in close contact and there was there was limited areas for us to go, I would be worried about the interaction or potential interaction there.
2: Yeah, that sort of brings me on to the sort of key question of your attitude to big cats being in the wild. What do you generally think personally about uh, big cats being around in the British countryside?
0: Um, I think it's a good thing. Um, I certainly don't view it as a negative thing, as long as they aren't causing a problem. Um, as far as I'm concerned, they should be allowed to remain where, where they are. Um, it would only be if you had a prolific um, livestock killer or, or or a cat that was showing um, signs of being aggressive to, to people potentially or domestic animals.
2: Do you still do lamping and that sort of thing?
0: Um, I haven't done it for some time, no.
2: Okay, but, but I mean you, you used to sort of carry firearms in the countryside, but w- what about th- um, that situation with a big cat and potentially needing to or deciding to use a gun or, or potentially using a gun what, what's your attitude on that sort of thing?
0: Um, I think it would be a last resort um, I think it's one of those things that could go very wrong I think if you if you were to miss or to you know only hit it in a certain area that's going to wound it then you potentially got a problem animal on your hands um, which could then internally lead to livestock killings and potential conflicts with people so no um, in my opinion it would be using a firearm would be a real last resort there's a farmer near me who um had a prolific amount of sheep kills um all of them looked to be um cat related and he never once said to me that he wanted to um to shoot it or anything like that even despite the fact that it caused you know hundreds of pounds worth of damages to him yeah
2: yeah i, I think um if it's the one that i met i mean th- there he and his son were very keen on the, the, the situation stopping somehow but they yeah. didn't want to to, to to shoot it but in fact they were their preference was for it to be trapped if possible and taken away for a wildlife park or whatever yeah that's so right yeah i think it's um very interesting that how responsible you know most people that we encounter tend to be even if they sort of um feel a bit uneasy about um a potential cat around you know they don't want to sort of take the pitchforks to the hills or anything worse Okay, I think we're running out of time, Dave, and that's um, really helpful. Thank you very much for that really um, full-on encounter and, and sharing that experience with us. So thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. And the following episode is going to be a trip to Exmoor. We'll be looking at the Exmoor beast, past and present, and meeting the creator of Bod, the beast of Bodmin Moor. So more about that next episode. Thanks for listening, and take care, everyone.